June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. We are staying home because of the coronavirus, doing what we can to stop the spread. Hope you are doing that too, if you can. But if you're out on the front lines, we cannot thank you enough. There are not enough words to say thank you, but we'll try with that. We begin with a stark new warning about the future severity of this coronavirus crisis. In a Washington Post interview, CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield says this, we could see a second wave of the virus next winter, and he says it could be even more difficult than what is happening right now. Yikes, because it would hit at the same time as the flu season. That's just one of many unknowns facing governors as they decide when and how to reopen their states. Mark Strassman is in hard-hit Atlanta, where the mayor says she wasn't even consulted by Georgia's governor before he decided to partially reopen in a couple of days from now. Mark, how are businesses handling all this? We're about to find out, uh, Anthony, and uh, good morning. Georgia ranks in the top 15 of most infected states. Nonetheless, this state is getting ready for what you might call a soft open. Certain businesses can unlock their doors for customers if they follow social distancing and sanitation guidelines. As some of the states around the country began to relax social distancing restrictions, the reality of what normal will look like is starting to sink in. It's scary from all aspects. Lindsay Nash owns a Georgia hair salon and is getting back to work. Governor Brian Kemp announced his plan to begin reopening the state this Friday. Shutting down for much longer wouldn't be an option because we don't know how long the pandemic will go on. But some residents and political leaders disagree with Governor Kemp, including the mayor of Albany, Georgia. The city has endured one of the highest per capita infection rates in the country. I pray that the number of Georgians who are infected and die will not increase significantly in the coming weeks as a result of the lifting of these restrictions. Dr. Deborah Burks, the White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator, says it's important for governors and mayors to follow the reopening guidelines. It will have to be on a community-by-community community opening. I believe people in Atlanta would understand that if their cases are not going down, that they need to continue to do everything that we said, social distancing. Burks is worried about asymptomatic spread, a concern bolstered by new antibody research. It suggests many more Americans may have been infected by COVID than first thought. We're not opening up all businesses as usual by any means. Many businesses in South Carolina have already been given the green light in a state where only about 42,000 people have been tested for the virus. Some North Carolina public beaches are now open, some retail too, like department stores. In Texas, Dallas County officials voted to extend their stay-at-home order through the middle of next month. Texans really want to get back to work. It's 
kind of part of the Texas DNA. But Governor Greg Abbott says his forthcoming plan for reopening will overrule any local policy. To me, I'm like, I'm living a movie. Texan Susan Morrison lives in Dallas. She lost her 39-year-old stepbrother and her 83-year-old father to COVID-19 on consecutive days. To not be able to see your family member die or to be there, hold their hands, and to just hear, oh, he's gone now, is not how I imagine saying goodbye to my father. The White House has set certain standards for states to reopen, and one of them is a two-week downward trend of new COVID cases. Gail, by that standard, Georgia fails. All right, Mark, thank you very much. The first U.S. death from the coronavirus happened much earlier than previously thought. Until now, the first known victim was reported to have died in Washington state on February 29th, but new testing reveals that someone actually died of the virus in California three weeks earlier on February 6th. Today, the reported national death toll is more than 45,000 people. Yeah, and Gail, the actual toll may be higher because many people are never able to get tested because of shortages of kits. And now we know healthcare workers and first responders will soon receive the first FDA authorized at home test. And we have FDA Commissioner Dr. Stephen Hahn joining us now to tell us more. Dr. Hahn, good morning. Uh, Americans are sitting at home right now and they're wondering two things. When can I get back to work and can I do it safely? This at-home test, tell us about it. Where does it fit into the bigger puzzle of testing, which seems so important to doing those two things, return to normalcy, returning to the economy, working as usual? Good morning, Anthony. Thank you for having me. So this new test is an at-home collection test for a diagnostic. That is a test that would diagnose the presence of the COVID-19 virus. And this is a test where um, it's going to focus LabCorp, this company that's developed this, is going to focus first on frontline healthcare workers and first responders. Those with symptoms can go online and fill out a questionnaire. The questionnaire will be uh, reviewed by a healthcare professional, a licensed physician, and if appropriate and consistent with the CDC guidelines, a package will be sent overnight with a swab and a tube. It's very easy and safe to perform. Our data show that it's as accurate as having it performed in the doctor's office or in a clinic. They can perform the test, put it in the tube of saline, and overnight it back to the lab, and then get the results thereafter from LabCorp. Well, it sounds like good news, Dr. Hahn. Let's talk about how it fits into the bigger picture. I was looking at the uh, testing data, and the U.S. has been stuck at below 200,000 tests per day. That is at least half as many. We'd need to double that pace, maybe even triple it, to reopen safely, according to some experts and their estimates. What are we doing to close that gap? Is the at-home test part of it? The at-home test is certainly part of it, and FDA has um, issued 59 emergency use authorizations for tests, four of which are the antibody tests, and the rest are the diagnostic tests. We have over 300 developers who are working with us to continue to expand that capacity. The other thing that it's really important to know, and this has been mentioned several times, and we've had calls with the governors about it, there is unlocked uh, capacity in the country. We're working very closely with the governors and the state public health officials uh, to make sure that the adequate supplies and the information about where those tests are available are made known to folks so that they can actually unlock that capacity. And we believe that based upon that information, that we could double the number of tests that are done in a very short period of time. 
Can you tell us, Dr. Han, what a very short period of time is? Right now, every day counts. People want to get back to work. If we need to double the number of tests that we're doing, how soon can we do that? Can you give us a date? Sure. I mean, you've seen Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci talk about this on the podium. Um, that could be done this week um, if the appropriate identification occurs at the state level um, and then the supplies are there for them. And so this is every day working with the states, unlocking that capacity, getting the supplies where they're needed, and actually informing the state public health officials about what alternative supplies are available. Um, and, and we've issued a number of uh, flexible policies to allow different swabs and different agents to be available. And we are disseminating that information very quickly to the states. Dr. Hahn, let's talk about something that Dr. Redfield at the CDC said yesterday to the Washington Post, that we could see a second wave of the coronavirus next winter. It could make this wave pale by comparison. Do you agree with his assessment? Are you worried about that second wave? I, I think that it's certainly a possibility, and the whole task force set of doctors um, is concerned about the second wave. And uh, Dr. Redfield's concern is that there also might be flu at the same time. Um, but that's why we have built into the plan the surveillance mechanisms to look for the respiratory illnesses and then to do the appropriate testing at that time. That's going to be a critical part of the reopening plan um, to allow us to move forward. And Dr. Hahn, just a simple yes or no, because I have to go here. The timetable for a vaccine, which would be really a game changer. Last we checked in with you, it was about a year off. That would be March of 2021. Is that still the case? Still the case at the estimate is March, but we're really trying to okay. accelerate the efforts and we will try for sooner, sir. Dr. Hahn, a lot of people counting on you. We thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. Thank you very much. Anthony, I'll send it over to you. Thank you, Anthony. All right. Thanks, Tony. We heard a lot about testing in that interview, but many people are still in the dark about what to do. Our national correspondent, Jerika Duncan, spoke to a Detroit family now mourning a man they say was turned away from getting tested three times. He was begging for his life, but no one would help him at all. Like they just kept sending him, sending him away. Keith Gambrell says he was concerned his stepfather, 56-year-old Gary Fowler, had coronavirus. Gambrell says he took him to the ER three times and says each time Fowler was not admitted and not tested, despite having many of the symptoms. I honestly believe it was because my father was black. They didn't honestly take his symptoms enough, serious enough to give him a test. The day before Fowler died, his father, David, died from COVID-19. Soon after, Fowler's wife, Cheryl, began having symptoms of her own, landing her in the hospital. So they put her on a ventilator. And I'm just thinking, like, man, this is it. Like, I'm about to lose my mom, too. Like, Gambrell was concerned other family members could be next. So he called his cousin, State Representative Karen Whitsett. Whitsett, who visited the White House last week to speak about surviving coronavirus, made sure her family was tested. If not for your title as state lawmaker, do you think your family would have been able to get tested? Absolutely not. And that sickens me to have to use that title to be able to 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 have to get my family tested. So come to find out, I tested positive for it. My brother Troy tested positive for it. My brother Ross tested positive for it. On Monday, Michigan's governor created a state task force to investigate racial disparities in the pandemic. Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist is the chair. One of the things that we are addressing with this task force is the fact that there may indeed be medical bias present 
when it comes to testing, as in who, is, who will even get a test, as well as in how treatment is administered. Gambrell is now focused on caring for his mother, Cheryl. She had been sent home from the hospital, but was readmitted late last night on what would have been her 25th wedding anniversary. Having been through this, what do you say to people who are losing loved ones back to back? Just pray. You just got to continue to fight for them and live the life that they will live and be their voice. Someone has to speak for the people that can't get medical attention the proper way. And I feel like that's my duty now. And I just spoke to Gambrell this morning. He says his mother is still in the hospital as we speak. The governor there in Michigan says that the state has the capacity to test 11,000 people each day. But she says right now they don't have enough reagents and swabs, so they're testing at half that amount. Such an important part of the story, Drika. Thank you very much. Moving to Washington, Congress is set to extend a federal aid program for struggling businesses after criticism that too much of the money has gone to large corporations. Last night, President Trump called on Harvard University to return more than $8 million in emergency aid. Harvard, which had a $41 billion endowment before the recent stock market downturn, says 100 percent of that grant money will go to support students. Weijia Zhang is at the White House for us with the latest on that, plus Mr. Trump's newest plan to restrict immigration. Weijia, good morning. What do we know about that plan? Oh, Tony, the president just tweeted this morning that he will sign an order today to suspend the issuing of green cards for at least 60 days in order to cut back competition for American jobs as the economy rebounds, although some people like seasonal agriculture workers will be exempt. Critics say this is merely a political stunt. President Trump is set to sign executive action that will temporarily suspend applications for permanent residency, claiming the move will help Americans looking for work. By pausing immigration, we'll help put unemployed Americans first in line for jobs as America reopens. And Democrats have accused Mr. Trump of having an ulterior motive, fulfilling a campaign promise to scale back on legal immigration. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that at all. Meanwhile, there was some good news for the more than 22 million unemployed Americans. Congressional leaders finally came to an agreement on adding additional funds to the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. There are always a lot of claims about who won and who lost, but I think the American people are the ones who won. The nearly $500 billion deal includes $310 billion for small business loans, $60 billion of which will be set aside for smaller banks and lenders. When the first round of aid was distributed, large entities received $10 million loans. Shake Shack returned its money, and the administration wants others like Harvard University to do the same. Harvard's going to pay back the money, and they shouldn't be taking it. Harvard pushed back late last night, saying the money they received came from a different fund meant to help struggling students. The deal also includes $75 billion for hospitals and $25 billion for virus testing. It's unclear exactly what a national testing program will look like, but the House is expected to pass the bill tomorrow, and the president has already indicated he will sign it. Meanwhile, the White House is already eyeing a brand-new Phase 4 stimulus package, hoping to revive the ravaged economy. Gail? A lot of people today, we just saying, show me the money. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get daily podcast originals. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast. I'm here with my producer, Becca. Becca, what can people expect on the podcast? The extended moments, for sure. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. I use the internet.